Well, good morning, everybody. Don't mind the slow gait getting up here. I have a, uh, a swollen and sore knee, so if you see me gimping around, just kind of ignore it. The good news is I got this fly fishing for trout, caught the biggest trout of my entire life, though I haven't been able to walk for a week, so I'm sort of weighing whether or not one of those, you know, was it really worth it or not. But uh, anyway, it is great to be here with you, here with you this morning. And, you know, that video that we just looked at, you know, what strikes me a lot about that video, it really is just this short summary of the coming of the kingdom. And what strikes me about it is simply this. Jerusalem is this earthly city where God was supposed to reign over the world. Like this was going to be his earthly uh, dwelling place. And it was destroyed. The holy city was in ruins. His people were in captivity for 70 years. But despite Jerusalem's destruction, despite what it looked like, God was still reigning. Roughly 600 years later, Jesus comes and he brings with him this good news, this gospel, the visible manifestation of the kingdom right to earth. This manifestation of God he brings to the earth. He's the one who has come with the power to make all things new. He is the one who's he could come and he could defeat any king. He can heal the sick. He can raise the dead. He can give sight to the blind. He can proclaim liberty to the captive. He displays power over all of creation. He could defeat any king, any governor, any army, anyone in the world. And to all that had eyes to see, he had come to set up his kingdom right here on earth. I mean, it would have been really easy to completely have believed that. That's what they are seeing. That's what their very eyes were telling them. And then at the end of this brief time that he had here, his mission seems to get derailed. He willingly surrenders his power to his enemies in death. And when he dies, he receives a crown, a robe, and he's lifted up, not on a throne, but on a cross. And no one can yet comprehend that he had given his life as a ransom. And so the real announcement of his kingdom comes disguised as suffering and death. It's a pretty much of an upside-down kingdom. It's where the first are going to be last and the last will be first. But you and I today, we have the benefit of hindsight because the resurrection happened, death was defeated, and his kingdom will have no end. And I will tell you that I believe everything that I just shared with you. I believe what was shared in that video. But despite the fact that I believe those things deeply, I have to tell you that in 21st century America today, the world that I live in, the one I'm standing in right now, I feel lots of tension. I feel fear. I feel some anxiety. I feel some unrest all around me, sometimes even doubts. Like, like why do I feel that stuff? You know, when I look around me, you know, I, I feel and hear the sights and sounds of the world, right? Terrorism. It's, it's, we hear about it constantly. We're in the midst of an election that is really hard for lots of us to comprehend that creates all sorts of anxiety and fear about our future. We've got cultural changes that are running away from us at seemingly an alarming pace, and they make us feel like as believers, we may find ourselves living on the fringe or marginalized in our own country. You know, a few weeks ago, I spent about six hours sitting outside in the hallway at family court waiting to testify in a child custody um, hearing. And as I sat there, I, I, I literally, for six hours, I sat in the hallway. And there's four courtrooms in there. 
And all day long, I watched people come in and out of these hearing rooms. And I saw people come out just sobbing in tears. And you could see them run to the restroom so there would be somewhere that was private for them to share their, to get their grief or their anger or their hurt or their frustration out. And I saw other people walk out of there. You could just visibly see the anger in them as they, as parties walked separately down the hall. Or you could see other ones where there was just a sort of stoic resignation to something that happened inside that courtroom that negotiated something that meant a lot to them in their life and maybe didn't have it come out the way they hoped. You know, this week we had a friend of ours try to take her life. And all the while, you know, we're doing weddings and we're celebrating the births of new babies and starting new jobs and buying new homes. And some of us get the good news that, you know, the cancer is in remission. And so we live in the midst of all of this tension, this uncertainty, and it's, it's real. And though we live in the midst of the kingdom of God, we live in the midst of all of this tension. You know, in the Bible, what I, what I would say is that that tension, I would describe it as living between the trees. My, my side screens, I've got a little, just a little reminder of that. You know, in the Garden of Eden, at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, you know, it talks about this whole idea. There's this tree in the garden, the tree of good and evil. And, you know, that tree becomes sort of the centerpiece around which Adam and Eve are deceived. They take the fruit, and in that moment, they introduce the fall of man into the world. And so at that moment, the brokenness of sin begins to permeate everything in creation, everything that was created and every person that's ever lived. And so we live in the fall. And then several thousand years later, there's another tree that comes. And we read about this in Galatians chapter three. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. So there's that tree And then there's this promise of a tree that we find in Revelation 22. It says, And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The truth is, For all of us, we live between the trees. We simply live in the tension between the trees. So we have the cross behind us, right? And we have the promise of another tree, the tree of life. We have the promise of the tree of life whose whose healing will be for the nations. But in between these things, we live and wrestle and struggle with the reality of the, the season of the kingdom that we live with right now, right here. And, you know, I think we can take some comfort in the truth. You know, you realize when you read Mark's gospel, I know we've talked some about this, but the people who were reading Mark's gospel, the original hearers of his gospel, they were living in the same exact tension between the same exact trees. They had the cross behind them, and the promise in front of them. 
And this was written at a time that was contemporary to Nero while he was um, leading Rome. And so there were Christians in Rome literally being used for torches at night. They were putting them on poles and burning them alive. They were feeding them to lions. I mean, this was a group of people who must have wondered, is this really, like this is the kingdom of God? Living in fear, hiding, wondering which one of us is going to be next. So the original hearers of this gospel, I think they lived with a lot of the same struggles and tensions that you and I still have today. And so at the very root and at the very core of this, and that's why I think it's so valuable for us to stop and think for a minute again about what the kingdom of God is. And that's what these parables that we're going to talk about this morning, they're going to help tell us a little bit about what the kingdom of God really is. But, you know, very simply, you know what the kingdom of God is? It's simply the rule of God. That's what it is. The kingdom of God is the rule of God. You know, in a very large global sense, God's rule is constantly expanding throughout the globe, one surrendered life at a time, one church, one house church, one relationship at a time. In a, in a, in a global sense, God's kingdom has never, ever stopped expanding, and it never will. But then there's a, another sense that maybe in its most narrow sense, the kingdom of God is his rule in my life. And if you think about how seeing the kingdom of God in this most narrow sense impacts the global sense of it, it makes, a, you know, you can see how one would influence the other. So, the, so this kingdom of God grows in the receptive soil of a surrendered heart. My heart, your heart. Bringing the rule and reign of God with you to any circumstance, any relationship, any opportunity to express love, grace, humility, integrity, forgiveness, to recover from our failures, to serve the needs of another. It is the willingness to listen, to surrender to the leadership of God in your own life, one moment, one day, one life at a time. And in that way, we take the kingdom with us everywhere we go. And you know what I love about that? is that every Christian on the planet, every one of us can live in the kingdom of God and take his rule and reign with us as he rules and reigns in our own life. And, you know, we talk all the time around here about this isn't about being perfect. It isn't about doing this in our own strength. It's about surrendering to the leadership of God and bringing that surrender with us wherever we go. And so the idea as a single one, just me, a believer, living out the truth of the kingdom of God, all of a sudden doesn't seem so overwhelming to me because I can understand the kingdom as allowing God to lead my life in my circumstances and in my place. So this morning, we're going to take a look at three short parables that are all designed to tell us a little something about the kingdom of God. You know, it's interesting because Mark this is the first gospel written, and Mark had a lot of options. I mean, he could have chosen any number of parables to include here, and I couldn't tell you for sure why he chose the ones that he did. <clears throat> but what is interesting to me is that he did choose. And so there are something, I think, significant that he wants us to learn about the nature of God's kingdom from these really very short little parables. So if you got your Bibles, open with me to Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. 
You know, last week, Rob, you know, did just a great job walking us through the parable of the sower, you know, which really, to me, is the parable of the soils. And uh, he helped us think about, last week, what kind of soil that we might be experiencing in our own life. I don't know if you, if you weren't here or just to, by way of review, you know, the types of soil. He talked about soil that was hard. So the seed just sort of laid there and kind of blew away. It, it couldn't penetrate. Then he talked about shallow soil, where it just really couldn't take root. And then he talked about divided soil, the kind, you know, that we are distracted by the, the anxieties and the worries of this world, and we're just vulnerable to having things stolen from us as we get sidetracked by all that's going on in our life, in our world. And then he talked about you know, this good soil. And, and he sort of described the idea of good soil as, as, as soil that's listening. Soil that doesn't just hear, but it hears. It listens. You know, and in the scriptures, when it talks about hearing, you know, they didn't just hear, but they heard. It's, it's talking about moving from getting it in your head to moving it out into your life. And so he talked about soil last week that was hearing soil, that was teachable, that was welcoming soil that was open and those would be the marks of good soil and you know one of the things I love about the description of that when I say that I want my soil to be open or teachable so I'm not saying to you I want my soil to be perfect I'm not saying to you that I want my soil to be mistake free because that's not what we're talking about you know the soil is a picture of our heart and so what God is hoping and asking and looking for in us isn't weedless soil. He's looking for teachable, tender, listening soil. And that's a very different kind of soil than trying to figure out how to get every weed, rock, and thistle. That's the work of God. So we, we go into this, uh, these next parables, and I think a couple of these parables relate quite profoundly, I think, to the parable of the sower that came before us. So I just wanted to stop a minute and review where we've been because we're going to come back there. So I want to give you sort of three sentences or phrases that will sort of capture the big idea of each one of these parables, and then we're going to go back and work through them one at a time, okay? So in verses 21 through 25, this is just what I would say about it. What is hidden is intended to be revealed. So that's the first one. What is hidden is intended to be revealed. In verses 26 through 29... I would say that what is growing is mysterious and it's powerful. What is growing is mysterious and it's powerful. And in verses 30 through 34, what is small is going to become really big. It has the potential to become really big. What is small can become really big. It can change lots of things. So let's stop here and take a look at the very first parable beginning in verse 21. What is hidden is intended to be revealed. So it says, and as he was saying to them, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed. It is not brought to be put on the lampstand. For nothing is hidden except to be revealed. Nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to the light. If anyone has ears to hear, good soil... Let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given to you besides. For whoever has, 
To him more shall be given, and whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away. It's pretty simple. You know, this parable, at least the first part of it, is really pretty simple, actually. A lamp is simply not made to be put under a basket. It would completely defeat the purpose of its existence. The lamp is intended. You'll note it says a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket. So a lamp is intended to be brought, carried in to a dark place to reveal something about what is there, what is around us. So it's a pretty, you know, if you picture this in the first century, you're probably talking about a very small dish, you know, a slight little bowl to it, and it's got oil in it, and there's a wick floating in the oil. So you can imagine walking into a very dark little home at night in, in ancient Israel and with a tiny little dish in your hand with a wick and a light. And everywhere that you walked and the only way that you would illuminate anything around you would simply be by the presence of this small light. So any kind of basket would immediately snuff the light out. It would simply be gone. So... What does the lamp represent in the story? Again, I don't think this is really tricky or mysterious. It represents the truth. And I think it represents the truth as that truth is embodied in the person and work of Jesus. So in a way, the the idea of truth and Jesus himself are almost synonymous here, I think. And what I love, this notion that we bring the lamp, the, the lamp is something we bring, you know, that's speaking about us, right? I mean, the point of our living in the kingdom is to bring the rule and reign of the king to our life. And part of the way that we do that is if Jesus was that little picture of a lamp, well, we're carrying him with us in a sense, aren't we? I mean, we're taking him wherever we go. We're the point of living in the rule of the king is to put the king on display. It is to make people in the kingdom aware of the good king that rules and reigns our life. So we have this opportunity from this little story to take this small lamp, which represents the light of Christ, and like take the basket off our own life and take that truth with us wherever we go. And in that way, we bring the rule and reign of God to bear wherever we go. So honestly, I think that parable is, I think it's really pretty simple. It's not an easy thing to work out in our lives, especially as we live between the trees. But let's go on to the next piece of this and see how they're connected. For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret that it would come to light. You know, the idea of carrying that lamp around, again, is its, it's purpose is to reveal something that we can't see or understand. It is to take it somewhere and to cast light on it so it becomes visible to us. If something is hidden that was not intended to be revealed, then it simply is going to be lost, right? I mean, it's, it's just lost. But, G, but God is telling us here through this parable that he has the intention of revealing things about the lamp and the lamp being Jesus. And, you know, it's it's pretty fascinating to me that, you know, God has chosen to reveal Jesus a little bit at a time. You know, you can go all the way back to creation and to the fall, 
and you see a prophecy about a young male child being born that would someday squash the head of the snake. And then you see God create a covenant relationship with his people, Israel, and you see them end up in bondage 400 years in Egypt. And then you read about this thing called the Passover, where for the first time they, for the fir- they begin to understand that by applying the blood of the lamb to the doorpost, that somehow they'll be spared death. And then you see them brought out of Egypt and they come through the Red Sea. And then the sacrificial system develops and we start to find out that sin means that we need the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. That sin itself is so ugly that it causes death and separation in the world. And so we need a blood sacrifice to care for that. And then you you can go all the way through the prophets and you can get all the way up into Isaiah and you get to Isaiah 53 and there's this prophecy of a suffering servant. And so one little bit at a time, one little bit at a time, one little bit at a time, God slowly reveals what has been hidden until the day that Jesus comes back to the earth. And now... Now he's flesh and blood reality. Now he's changing the world around him. Now he's displaying power unlike anybody that's ever been. And now it seems so clear what, was, um, what God wanted them to see. He was taking the veil away. He was revealing a little more about Jesus. And then, of course, it's almost like he put the veil back over them again when Jesus surrendered his life to death. And then the resurrection happened. And we know after that resurrection that what had been revealed about Jesus to that point was enough to take those followers of Christ to scatter into the world and to give their lives away to tell people about the kingdom of God. Now, the reason all that history, it really matters to me Because in a very real sense, as we live between the trees now, we're kind of like the Old Testament folks who who had these, they they had a a certain veiled look. And then the New Testament people had a brighter look, but, but still it was persecution. Still it was martyrdom. Still it was struggle because the promise of the consummation of the kingdom was still ahead of them. But I have so much confidence that God has chosen to slowly reveal to the world who Jesus is. So that you and I, as we live between the trees, we can live with the exact same confidence that Jesus came the first time, died and rose again. And there's a day where he's coming again. And there'll be a tree in the garden and its leaves will be for the healing of the nations. That's true. So when we live in this world that we're in, it's true that someday there will be a tree with leaves for the healing of the nations. And so that's what makes where we live today both hard and powerful. So what's gone on in the past is very relevant to what we believe and understand about the future. So let's go into the next uh, last little piece of this parable It says, for whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. You know, there are some some passages in the New Testament sometimes where you read them 
And you think to yourself, that is a very hard thing that he just said there. So like my first reading of that, I, I literally, I like, what in the world does that mean? I mean, I don't hardly have anything that's going to take it from me. See, I think that this relates very much to the parable of the sower. Because I think what he's speaking about here is truth. I think what, what he's talking about, whoever has what? Whoever has truth, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not, even what he has shall be taken away from him. And, and here's what I think. You know, the parable of the sower, sower, you have this idea, right? Where there's the seed has been sown and, and there's hard ground and there's, there's shallow ground and there's thorny, you know, thistly ground. And in each one of those things, somehow what was sown was taken. And this is how I have experienced this truth in my life as a follower of Jesus, is that I know there are times in my life when my soil's not teachable, where my soil isn't listening. And when that happens to me, I feel my heart shrivel. I feel it get smaller. I feel it gets smaller towards other people. I feel it gets smaller where my faith becomes more fear-based and fear-driven and anxious. I, I feel like uh, the generosity of my heart gets smaller. And every single time that I've gone through those kinds of seasons, what happens to me is that the expression of my faith and, and the truth I carry, it feels like it just ebbs away. It's like the birds come and steal it. And so I become almost neutered in my ability to uh, sort of walk out in faith and, and bring God's rule and reign with me. It's like I, I lose what I have. Now, I haven't lost my salvation, but I've, I've lost the ability to see God's rule and reign in my life. And by reverse order, you know, when there are times when, for whatever reason, my soil is tender and teachable and open, it's amazing how God can move me to take a step of faith or to go apologize to somebody that I was afraid to apologize to or, or maybe speak the truth in love to them or, or maybe sacrificially serve somebody beyond my kind of normal capacities. When I get in a season like that, where I feel my, the surrender of my heart is such that God, I feel that God stir in me. I know that he fans the flame of that and I feel more and I feel the expansion of my heart and the growth that goes on in my life as a result of that. And so I think it is an amazing thing that the way that, you know, we, what we have turns into more is by surrender. It's an amazing thing to me. So the first thing we learned about the kingdom is that what has been hidden is meant to be revealed, which is a really good thing because there are still things hidden from us and they will be revealed. So the next story is like what's growing is mysterious and unseen. Verses 26 through 29 said, and he was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil and he goes to bed at night and gets up by day and the seed sprouts and grows how he himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But then the crop permits, and he immediately puts in the sickle because of the harvest has come. I, you know, this is a, to me, is a huge challenge to my faith. Because the idea that, I mean, basically, this, again, this parable is not very complicated, really. This is a man who puts some seed in the ground, and then it says he goes to bed. He goes to bed. And then 
it starts to grow. He doesn't have any idea how or why. He just put the seed down and it went to bed. And he went to bed. And, you know, I'm telling you, I'm not sure. When I look around the world I'm in and I think about God's kingdom and I think to myself, if I were a faithful person and I was sowing seed and maybe couldn't do another thing, I I sowed some seed and then I went to bed. Like, is God really able to grow seed when I'm sleeping? Is God able to raise fruit out of that in a way that I can't understand and is mysterious? You know, the beauty of that is I never get, I never get confused about who's really doing what in the world. And I like the fact as well that this is mysterious because I think the truth is, is that God's growth and the nature of the kingdom and the way God has chosen to reveal the kingdom over the course of all these centuries is a mystery. And it's a mystery that only God really has the keys to understand. And so it is a call to us to be faithful with the seed and to believe that God actually can do something with it that I couldn't do anyway. And I know that when I think about that, I think, wow, that might actually bring rest to my soul. Maybe I'm not responsible to make that seed pop up through the ground. Maybe I can rest and not have to do that work. And, you know, this, that is true both in the global sense, again, trying to understand the mystery and work of God between the trees when I look at this whole big picture of the world. But it's also true in the small personal sense in my own heart and in my own life. It is not easy to see the miraculous way in which God causes growth even in my own life, let alone in the world around me. So between the trees, the growth of the kingdom is mysterious, but what it tells us is it's also utterly certain. Okay, I want to take a look at this last parable. The influence of the kingdom here in verse 30 through through 34, the influence of the kingdom will start small and it's going to finish big. And he said to them, how shall we picture the kingdom of God or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. So the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You know, a mustard seed, I've, I've held them in my hand before. I, I've had 20 or 30 of them in my palm. And they are literally about the size of a grain of salt. I'm not sure that it's uh, accurate that it was absolutely the smallest possible garden seed. But what, what the writer's telling us here, like Jesus did, you know, one time Jesus told the disciples, he said, you know, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could tell that mountain to move and it would move. Now, that's a, a euphemism, right? But what, what is Jesus saying? He's saying that something very small can move something very big, which... That's another one of those things that I am, I, I, I desperately in my heart, I want to I wanna, I wanna have ears to hear. I want to have a listening heart when I hear that. Because if it's true, how does that impact the way I live in terms of bringing the kingdom of God with me where I go? Because I'm a very small thing in the kingdom. My seed is very tiny. 
And yet this parable is telling me that a mustard seed of faith, just a, and this is what the kingdom is like, remember. So a mustard seed of faith can cause something very big to happen. And, you know, I, you know when I think about uh, the first hearers of this and the first followers of Jesus, imagine how they felt as they followed Jesus into his kingdom path and they thought he was going to, at the time that he was going to destroy Rome and set up Israel with an earthly kingdom and then, he, and then all that happened happened and, and they died. And so all the people that were following him, they scattered and denied him and ran. And, and, and again, you think, how in the world does God build a kingdom out of these little tiny seeds? And you know, like we are sitting here 2,000 years later in this room deeply believing the things we're talking about because these teenagers who were scared and confused these tiny little seeds that started unimaginable in the Roman Empire and here we sit 2,000 years later believing the kingdom is like a mustard seed. And we, we are part of this tree that has grown out of this crazy, ridiculous start to this entire thing. I want to I share a, a quick story with you, and it's a personal one, and I couldn't possibly really give it its just due. But I want to tell you a mustard seed story because it's life-changing. You know, back in 1973... There was a girl named Patty Pound who threw some seed on my wife, Ann, in high school. She was a junior in high school. We didn't know each other. She invited her to a Young Life meeting. Well, Ann went, and I'm going to condense all this quickly, but Ann found Jesus, found forgiveness, found the kingdom of God. And then she went home and started talking to her twin brother. And not very long after that, her twin brother found Jesus. And then there was pretty dramatic life change in her brother. And pretty soon her dad was watching the seed. And her brother Mark was maybe throwing a little on her dad. And in a very short time, her dad, her mom, and her three other siblings all became Christians. And then about five years later, Ann and I meet in college. I don't know the gospel. And Ann starts throwing seed on me. And I, uh, all that does is cause us to fight. I mean, we're building a dating relationship, but uh, we have this big thing in the middle, and this is the middle. Like, she throws the seed, and I spit it out. And so this goes on for a year, and then she breaks off the relationship. And she broke it off over that. Like, she brought the rule and reign of God in her fragile little form because she did it through tears and sobbing, and nothing about it was easy. And she brought the rule and reign of God to that moment. And I'm telling you, it was her courage to do that that finally put me kneeling in her living room and receiving Christ as my Savior. And then her brother, Matt, who came to Christ long ago, he met a girl at the same college, and he shared the gospel with her, and she came to know Christ. And you know, almost everybody in her large extended family knows Christ. And they have three biological kids and four adopted kids, all of whom are living for Jesus today. And I went home and started throwing seeds on my sister and my mom and my other sister. And, and all of a sudden, my sisters are followers of Jesus and son and, or 
brother-in-laws are followers of Jesus and nieces and nephews are followers of Jesus. And if I could trace this out for you, I mean, I haven't even touched all the other siblings and Anne's family and all the, and our four children and their husbands and their, our grandchildren and Matt and Tammy's coming grandchildren from their seven kids and Abby and Doug's six kids and Amy and, you know, it's, I would tell you standing here today that that story has now grown into what I would estimate thousands of people in several countries all around the world. If I could share with you the entire thing, it would literally blow your mind what God has done through one tiny little mustard seed that no one... When you begin, when you bring the rule and reign of God to your life in that one small moment... You're not thinking about the tree growing. You're not. You're just thinking about that one small moment. And it's up to God what he does with that one small moment. But you know, when the mustard tree grew big, it says it provided shade in the garden for the birds to come and sit on its branches and shade for other, other things. And so basically, you know, the mustard seed influenced and changed the nature of the garden. So one parable tells us that growth will be mysterious and certain. The next one says that growth is going to influence and change things. And that's what I just, I just, I want you to think about the seed that you carry if you have a listening heart this morning, a surrendered heart, that God, when we bring the rule and reign of God with us where we go, we have no idea what in the world God might be doing. And I'll bet you that if I went around the room, I bet there's little seed stories all over this room like that. And uh, so what a powerful thing that is to be reminded of. So just a couple applications and I'm gonna close us up here. Now, because the process can be slow, it can be difficult to discern. You know, sometimes good soil can even look like bad soil for a long time. Like nothing happens, you know, like I don't know what's wrong. Lord, what's wrong? I want my heart. I want my heart to hear. And so, again, surrender to the truth you've been given. Ask God for the courage, the faith, the wisdom, and the trust to act in faith, to walk, to walk in the truth that you have. You know, there's an order to growth, and it takes time. You know, verse 28 says that the blade comes first, the head, and then the mature grain. You know, that story I told you about, Ian, that has now spanned 40 years. That's a 40-year story. That's one of the few advantages I can think of to almost being 60 is that you've got a 40 years to look back at. But it's a 40-year story, as is the kingdom of God. How many thousands of years? So there's an order to growth, and so we don't need to worry about. That's something that God takes care of. You know, and most of us, you know, not, we don't want to measure our spiritual growth by a stopwatch, but you want to measure it by a calendar, by years, by generations. That's how you measure spiritual growth. Because it's what, it's God is doing it. It's not ours to do. And I said this earlier, but faithfulness is our responsibility and fruitfulness is God's. You don't need to take responsibility from somebody else's fruit bearing. You don't. If you're doing that as a parent with your children, it, you can't. You need to open your hand to God. If you're doing it for your spouse, it's causing all sorts of angst and unrest in your life. If you're do, it's like that's not our That's not our work. Our work is to be faithful and to trust God and keep our soil listening and teachable. So, 
You know, when we're living between these trees, I just, we can remember that we are standing with everyone who's ever gone before us. And we are going to stand together, even in the disappointment, even when we get overwhelmed by the tensions and struggles that are just simply real between the trees. But believe me, God is building his kingdom between these trees. He is. Why don't you stand with me? Revelation 22, and he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You know, throw some seed and go to bed. Like, that's what we're told to do in the parable. Um... You know, God is at work and he is moving us to a grand conclusion and that end is coming. And when it does, he promises to wipe away every tear and there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow and no more mourning. The kingdom of God is going to come in its fullness and all will be revealed. And that is true. Let me pray and we'll be done. Lord, thank you for these things. God, would you let these sink into our soul? Lord, let our soil be hearing and teachable. And Lord, give us eyes to see what we cannot see. And Lord, help us make that kingdom real right where we are. In the name of Jesus, amen.